0: Merchant to Merchant is brought to you by Something Digital, a Magento Enterprise and Shopify Plus partner. Something Digital is an award-winning digital agency that will put your e-commerce site to work. Visit them online today at somethingdigital.com slash podcast. Hello and welcome to Merchant to Merchant, a podcast for merchants and by merchants brought to you by Something Digital. I'm Philip Jackson. I'm your host and I am so like I have these mixed feelings because this ostensibly is the best episode that we've ever recorded. And I'm so excited for you to listen to it. But I'm also so bummed out because it's the first time that we've ever had a technical issue in the middle of a show. Uh, So unfortunately, we didn't get all of the interview, but we did get quite a a big portion of it. And the content is so good that I think that we just wanted to give it to you in, in the way that it was Uh, that it happened live. Uh, So I didn't want to hold anything back. So without any further ado, uh, what you're about to hear is an amazing panel that we had at the Robert Graham store in Venice Beach, California. Uh, We had it uh, around the Magento uh, sales kickoff uh, in early January 2019. And on the panel uh, are three amazing brands, uh, Karma Loop, sole bicycles and birdwell board shorts and i'm telling you, you you don't this is so good uh and i really wish we got the whole thing uh but that's okay uh sometimes things happen uh but you're really going to be impressed with the stories of how these brands, um, some of them have uh, had to reinvent themselves over time. Some of them have a long and incredible history and, and have so much uh, knowledge of their customer and so much passion and love for the, the products that they've created. And some of them are success stories and some are turnaround stories. And I think you're going to love it. So let's go live to the show. Welcome to Merchant to Merchant, a podcast for merchants and by merchants brought to you by Something Digital. Uh, we are live here in January 2019 at the Robert Graham store on Abbott Kenny and Venice Beach. And we have a live audience. Why don't you make some noise? <laughs> uh, and we're, we're very, very excited about uh, this uh, panel. What a, a great turnout and uh, what a great time. But firstly, we want you to subscribe and like. Uh, you can do that wherever podcasts are found. Uh, you can get uh, this podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Premium, uh, and Spotify. And uh, make sure you leave us uh, some of your feedback at podcast.somethingdigital.com. All right, well, uh, our panelists here today are here to talk about something that I think each one of them knows intimately and uh, can share their own personal experience with, uh, and really happy uh, to have them uh, with us. You may have heard of some of these brands, uh, especially if you're uh, local here in the Santa Monica, uh, Venice Beach area. Uh, so, I'd like to welcome to the panel Jeff Claussen, uh, the CEO of Birdwell. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Theo Gallo, the Director of Commerce for Karma Loop Chic Shoes. Make sure and Brian Rubin, uh, co founder of Soleil Bicycles, uh, who have to right here. Come on. Come on. Awesome. Uh, so, for those who may not know uh, each of these brands, uh, could you tell us a little bit about your brand? Why don't you start us off, Jeff?
1: Sure. Uh, Birdwell Beach Bridges is a 57-year-old beach apparel and accessory business founded in Santa Ana, California. A short hour and a half drive down the 405, um, as most things are in L.A. Um, we uh, were started in 1961, and a group of us uh, from actually the South Bay acquired the brand in 2014. And so when I introduced Birdwell Beach Bridges, I like to say we're a uh, 57-year-old startup.
0: Oh, welcome. Well, thanks, Jeff. Uh, Theo, why don't you tell us a little bit about
2: yourself and uh, Chic Shoes Karma Loop? Sure. Uh, I've been with Chic for three years now. Chic is um, a lifestyle retailer uh, for 30 years now. Um, We started out as a women's uh, shoe store and kind of evolved. Uh, Recently we acquired Karma Loop to help build our profile into more of the men's fashion.
0: Oh, great. Oh, well, welcome. Thanks, uh, Theo. And Brian, why don't you tell us a little about Soleil and
3: yourself? Yeah, so Soleil was founded in 2010. Um, we actually founded it our senior year at USC. Um, and we opened up our first, our office in Venice back in 2011. Um, and we also recently opened our first brick-and-mortar downtown USC at the New Village, which they completed last year. Um, and we're, we're, we're mainly a lifestyle direct consumer brand. Um, and there are... Ten of us currently. Fight on. Awesome.
0: Woo. All right. Well, welcome, panelists. Uh, So, we have bicycles, board shorts, and hype sneakers. I don't think you can get any more Southern California than that. Um, So let's talk a little bit. uh, Let's start with you, Jeff. Um, Let's talk a little bit about like what what does it mean? What is a lifestyle brand to you? Uh, How to like. I've heard that term before, but for those who may not have heard it, you know, what does that mean to you and what does it mean for Birdwell?
1: Well, at Birdwell, we think of ourselves as a purpose-built apparel and accessory company. And so, you know, what that means to us is that we build clothes and things for specific, you know, use cases or purposes, right? So, mostly board shorts. Um, we're surfers. We think about, you know, the, those who surf and what you need um, you know, when you go in the water. and And so that's where the company started and that's the the history of the company is mostly around the board short but obviously life at the beach is much more than just being in the water or just surfing and just needing board shorts and so when i think of a lifestyle brand i think about the lives that we have the privilege to lead in southern california in the south bay which is, you know, again, it's, it's at the beach, it's in the water, but it's also on the Strand, it's also, you know, walking up and down Abbot Kinney, which we happen to be on now. Right. Uh, and all of the things that that encompasses and all of the the, the clothes or the accessories that you might need to live the, the, the fullest expression of that life.
0: Right. Uh, when, when people talk about certain, like, uh, retail avenues in North America, I mean, you think of... Uh, uh, Worth Avenue in Palm Beach or Fifth Avenue in New York City, right? Rodeo Drive. Abbott Kinney has its own vibe, yeah. right? And this this whole area, is, it, it has its own vibe. Like, how do, you, how do you... Do you feel like that's part of your culture? Like, your home is who you are? And how does that change, like, how you interact with your customer?
1: I mean, for Birdwell, specifically, we think about any beach anywhere in the world as kind of our home. And, and mm. you know, once you have your feet in the sand... You could be at, you know, in Venice Beach or in Byron Bay and it feels the same, you know, like it it feels like your home. Um, And so, again, like I think that's synonymous with that lifestyle, um, that it doesn't matter whether you're from China or from North America, whether you're in Australia or whether you're in Hawaii. Like that vibe, that feeling of being at the beach and living that lifestyle, um, that's kind of what we cater to. Uh, when you think of Birdwell, you think of fun, you think of sun and, and sand and and salt yeah. in the air. Theo,
0: what's, when I think of lifestyle, uh, streetwear evokes a certain lifestyle uh, and aesthetic. Uh, how does that play out for you guys as retailers?
2: Um, well, you know, working with a bunch of, we, since we're not, we're a brand retailer, right. we have to work with brands. And every brand has a story to tell and they all have their own story to tell. So as a retailer trying to tell our own story, we have to make sure that we are incorporating um, what they want into our story. Um, And at least we all have one goal and that is to provide like the best experience, right? The brands want that, the retailers want that, and most importantly, the consumer wants that. Mm. So we try to, you know, find those niches um, in the market where we can find a home of consumers, you know, to cater and to serve to.
0: And I think Karma Loop has a a pretty strong following of consumers um, and, you know, has a a pretty awesome turnaround story, too. Maybe you could touch on some of that.
2: Um, Yeah. So Karma Loop has some deep history. Um, We recently purchased them uh, two years ago. So... um, It's been a little bit difficult because um, they made a lot of consumers and brands um, unhappy, so we had to overcome both of those hurdles. Um, Basically our plan of attack was uh, to just tone it down, um, process orders, get them shipped and make customers really happy, Mm. um, as well as work with the brands. Uh, We had to rebuild that relationship. with. Almost every single brand, and there's over two hundred and fifty brands that Carmeloup was working with um, and at the same time, we did a lot of things on the back end uh, mm-hmm. to enhance that, so we moved everything over to Magento, mm-hmm. updated all of our apps, um, which we just recently completed about three months ago so now we 've been in full marketing swing and you know Karma Loop is back and we've got new brands and for the last two years we've been doing nothing but shipping orders and on time and Congratulations. you know, making yeah. sure customers are happy. It's really hard to turn that around.
0: <laughs> when you have, what, what, what you have that's a unique challenge from your other panelists is that you've you, your customer uh, might, you, you have to make them a fan of Chic Shoes Karma Loop when they're already a fan of the brands that you sell. Um, how, do you, how, do you, how do you make that? work how do you differentiate yourself amongst everybody else who sells you know all the brands that they're already fans of
2: um with our consumer it really all comes comes down to credibility you know our consumers rate us um every day um and that passes off you know to the brands which they in turn you know rate us as well um so (laughs) it's always just been important for us to you know, stay focused on what the consumer wants. If we can build, you know, a place and an environment where the consumer wants to come, the brands will want to be there as well. That's awesome.
0: Uh, Brian, what, 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 when you talk about a bicycle, bicycles have like, they have all kinds of different utilities. Uh, What makes a Soleil bicycle different?
3: Um, You know, just touching upon, you know, the topic of lifestyle, I mean, it really is built into the DNA of how we started the company, and it was important for us to sh- to build that identity into the brand, and we, what we really want to do is really share that that experience and sort of that leap of faith we took when we started the company, which was, you know, a group of guys, you know, no money, you know, no investment, and, you know, we created a product purely based on just simply we loved it we you know we wanted to ride it we saw it we wanted to recreate it um you know none of the guys that i work with you know people always ask us you know do you have a cycling background how did you get into this and all of us come from you know none of us came from a cycling background any snowboarding surfing skating bath. i mean across the board and so it's important for us to incorporate all these sort of various lifestyle aspects and you know, we would you know spend, you know, countless hours into the night in our friend's living room figuring out how we could portray that story and, and, and sort of this eclectic group of guys and build it into the brand, into the story, into the identity, because, um, you know, I think, you know, with my generation, you know, call it a millennial, but, um, you know, the people I think... Or adult. Or, or, no. <laughs> or adult now, yeah, right. old now. Um, you know, I, th- I think that they, um, you know, really aspire to see that authenticity with um, you know people starting something on their own and creating something on their own and taking that risk and that leap and um, so th- that's part of the lifestyle aspect of it and um, what, what i think separates us from the other bicycle brands out there is um, you know you really i'd say five or six years ago you really had two options you could go to walmart and buy you know part of my friends a, a shitty 150 dollars bike that would break after a month Or you'd go into, you know, a mom-and-pop bike shop and have some sales associate try to sell you on a $2,000 Trek 10-speed that you don't need. So we really realized there's a gap in the marketplace for this sort of, call it leisure rider. Right. Um, You know, something that was affordable, but also had that sort of aesthetic lifestyle appeal that looked good. Um, You'd be proud to ride it. And it was, in our mind, our question was, you know, there's skate, skate, surf, all these other types of industries had capitalized on, a lifestyle and yeah. we thought to ourselves why hasn't there been a bike that's done it or a bike brand that's done it and that that really was our focus and goal when we started it. Uh,
1: can I jump yeah. in there just because w- what you were talking about really resonated with me in that when you talk about a lifestyle brand actually when we are sitting at Birdwell talking about lifestyle brand typically that can be pejorative right like it, it meaning that too often it's a group of people that sit around a table oh, and decide yeah. that they want this veneer of the experience, you know, as opposed to authentic, you know, that like we live this lifestyle, right. we mm-hmm. surf or we ride, you know, like up and down the strand, whatever it is, right? So I think more, you know, where we are now, consumers are really savvy. They, they're, they're picking up on the stories, they're understanding they see that- see yeah, right through it. Yeah, it's true or not true, right? right. And, and that doesn't mean that you can't appeal to a broader set of people <laughs> and that you can't mean different things to different people. But I think starting with the origin of like we live this lifestyle, right? Lifestyle isn't a bad thing, right? It's it's it is who you are and what you build for, and therefore people can resonate or it resonates with people.
0: I like that that the word veneer because I think you know veneer is thin, yeah. Uh, And I think you 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 make a really good point, Jeff, in that the uh, the consumer is a little more savvy these days, and uh, it's more than just what you see on social—it's like more than just the images that go by on Facebook and Instagram. It's—it's right. it's everything else of what your what your customers are saying about you is so much is amplified so much more today. Right. So they can tell, they can tell when it's that you're blowing smoke. Right. Um, how do you take a piece? I, 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 I just, since I'm already talking to you, Jeff. Wait. How do you take a piece like a board short and build? <laughs> A sustainable business around that. Like, how do you how do you scale out horizontally to other things
1: that might be uh, approachable year round and sure. in other climates? Like- yeah, I mean, I think again, we think about the life we live and mm-hmm. and the products that we use and the 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 things that we do um, and build for those. Right. So we are our own customers initially, um, and then we have the privilege of you know fifty seven plus now years of dialogue with customers and understanding their feedback and what's what works and what doesn't work and what they hope for from us specifically or from anyone uh, and try to build towards that and so um, you know I think you can it's easy to get pigeonholed into you know one category this is all that you're known for and you kind of chase trends around just keeping that fresh Um, and certainly there are many brands that do that very well but I think for us you know we try to think about what else and again listen to the customer what do they want from us right and and Um, and when we think about the life that they live and this lifestyle of being at the beach and surfing, there's, you need way more than just board shorts. I mean, it seems obvious to state, but like at a minimum, you need a towel. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: (laughs) um, but, and there's obviously more than that. And, And so when, you know, for, for Birdwell, we think of ourselves not as a board short company, but as an American, you know, high-quality, handmade manufacturer of apparel and accessories, right? And so, again, everything that we sell is made by hand straight down the 405 in Santa Ana. And so, you know, we make things to last forever. And so people, I think, appreciate that quality, whether you're a surfer or not, whether you're talking about a board short or I happen to have a wool, um, you know, jacket on, shirt jacket on, um, which is appropriate to the 60-degree weather we have in Venice right now. <laughs> so cold, so cold. <laughs> Where is this, like, sunny
0: Southern California I keep hearing about? that. So, uh, Theo, when when Jeff's talking about listening to customers, how are you guys listening to your customers? I mean, other than, you, you mentioned meeting their baseline expectations and being able to deliver uh, uh, which is a whole separate conversation because brands like Amazon are setting their expectations much higher these days. But how do you listen to them? Uh, and and like, how are you engaging them? How are you talking to them?
2: Um, so that's um, one of the struggles that we kind of go through now is, you know, talking to the customer. We are desperate to talk to the customer. The customer doesn't always want to talk to you. Um, so um, we do, you know, different things to, um, like you said, there's Amazon, right? right? We see a lot of what Amazon is doing and um, the acquisitions that they make so they can provide better services, um, like just being more available and start their, you know, being pick up their their trucks that they have, you know, their daily deals always, there's a truck always down the street from our, our office, you know, and you get the messages. So they want to be right there in front of you. And, um, our consumer tells that same story um and you know to us it's a, we see it a little bit different as a retailer mm-hmm. um you know, our consumer is very demanding, and so when you do have a customer they they do let you know what you want mm-hmm. um if you know i'm sure a lot of us know when a customer places an order they call you 20 minutes later <laughs> making sure that we got that order and when are they going to get it right. so you start to learn these you know expectations and you simply like ask the customer like oh what do you need it for you know maybe we can get it to you sooner we have a store where you can go pick it up at um and as we learn like oh we're doing all these little one-offs to help this one customer we start to take those one offs and build it for all of our customers. Um, and it just goes back to that if huh. you build it, they will come. Sure. You know.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Something Digital. Something Digital is a full service e commerce agency specializing in strategy, design, digital marketing, and more something digital has award-winning creative design and world-class engineers that can deliver any size project from concept to launch something digital is a magento enterprise and shopify plus partner put your e-commerce site to work with something digital check them out today at somethingdigital.com slash podcast
1: so I, i think for us i mean just listening to that for us the bigger we get the smaller we want to feel you know like we're all consumers too and so you know when when you're interacting with a business whether it's you know in a store like this or online there are are there real people that actually care about why you want their thing and did you get it and did it was it the wrong size or is it just an order and a line item and you're just trying to ship it and so for us like that's what we focus everything around is like you know, Birdwell started as a family business. We want it to still feel like a family business, even though we're not part of that original family. People love that product and love the brand. And so we want them to feel like they're in conversation with people that get it, you know? And so whether it's, you know, systems or whether it's talking on the phone to them, I mean, I think that's actually what Amazon does so well by virtue of how quickly they get you something but so poorly in terms of it's so robotic and it's not like starting with Bezos, you know, God bless him, but like he's just like, you know, like an automaton, you know, like he's not a real person. (laughs) <laughs> um, this, is my per- this is my personal opinion. Um,
3: um,
1: that I think that makes it like, you know, it, it, or just dealing with, with Amazon as a platform, it's just it works so well yeah. that you have to use it, but like it's not pleasant at all. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that's what we're trying, again, like when you think about Birdwell, you think about board shorts, you think about the beach and fun, like the whole thing should be joyous. It should be like Christmas right. morning. You get this package and I oh, like, can't wait to open it, you know? And I, so that's what we try to orient everything around. <laughs>
0: uh, 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 the opinions expressed on this panel are those of the panelists alone and not those of Something Digital. Come after us, Amazon. Come on,
1: um, He's focused on other things at yeah. the moment. Let
0: it be known yeah. that I said the A word so 22 old. minutes in. Uh, <laughs> B- Brian, uh, you know, do you sell on Amazon? Uh, we do. Okay. Uh, it, it's, we do, too. yeah <laughs> When I guess I would ask you the same things, like how do you take something like a bicycle and build everything else around it yeah. that, that evokes? You know, I, I think of I think of you guys, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. A fixie bike could mean a lot of different things to me. Uh, you know, I know I'm in New York all the time, and bike messengers ride fixies. Um, so, how do you how do you sort of like what do you put around that to? Find the customer who's in search of the lifestyle that you're trying to portray?
3: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> our first product was was a f- the Fixie or fix gear, I don't right. know if you guys are familiar with it, but it's it's a it's a it's a single speed road bike. The and the best way to describe it is you know the the New York messengers with the courier backpack and the flipped up hat, and you see the guys in the night ride. So that was our first product. And um, I would say that and now we have you know six different uh, models in our line. and that customer really dictated that sort of evolving product line for us. And, um, you know, whether it's feedback from, you know, again, you know, we were the sort of first, uh, you know, mass market fixed gear bike, you know, and originally, if you wanted to go buy a fixed gear bike, you'd have to learn about the market, go build it yourself. You'd spend $2,000 to do it. And it was part of this whole culture. Um, So we commoditized that and made it affordable. But then, you know, as, as we, you know, kind of the months and years went by, we were getting feedback from the customers say, hey, I need a bike that fits me, or I need a bike that's better for the beach, and and then our customer evolved into corporations and businesses and hotels, and we need a bike that's better suited for our hotel guests, and so from there, um, you know, we listened to our customers and really created different types of models that were suited for you know those types of opportunities for us, and then you know, coupled with that, um, and I, and I think it's important is we took risks, and I mean, and, and how we started the business and, and hmm. deciding to go with it. Sometimes we just you know, kind of go to our, our core and, and sort of where we started and say, hey, let's, let's go for it. This is an amazing idea. It may fall flat. This product may not sell. But um, that's part of the fun for us is, you know, pushing the boundaries of what sort of the, the sort of standard notion or idea of what a bicycle should be or shouldn't be. And we, you know, we kind of said, screw it. And sure, we had some products that you'll never see again. But then we've had some that are, you know, my favorite. And, um, you know, it's the first ever uh, p- polka dot bike. Which I don't know if you've seen those around, but <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's a mixture of obviously listening to the customer and evolving your product line around that, and then also sort of taking those risks. I think that sort of excite you as a company, and, and it you know it stays true to who you are and, hmm. and your identity.
0: Your customer changes over time. Yeah. Right. So as your customer grows and their tastes expand, they're they're telling you, "I still want to be your customer. I need you to grow with me." Correct. That sounds hard.
3: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it hasn't been easy, especially when. Um, you know, our factories overseas and, and just outside of Shenzhen. And so that adds a whole element of complexity and, you know, the communication back and forth. But, um, we, you know, we quickly, we fought it at first. I mean, in our mindset, we were just, hey, we want to be the, the fixie, the affordable fixie bike that everyone can buy. And, um, you know, over time, we, we sort of, you know, let loose and, and, and realized that we needed to evolve or else, you know, we, we'd be out of business. Because... Mm. Um, what we're doing, it wasn't proprietary in the sense that, I mean, if anyone really wanted to, they could go online and find a factory and build a fixed gear bike, <laughs> you know? And, and so I, I, for us, it was creating an ecosystem around it that made us unique and that we knew people couldn't copy. And, and just, a, just a quick addition there, we actually had a group approach us to, to buy us out very early on. We said kind of, you know, no thanks, you know, thanks, but no thanks. And, you know, they said, you know, just a heads up, we're going to go ahead and duplicate what you're doing and um, they came that yeah and it was it was a venture-backed firm and and they had a ton of money and a ton of powerful investors on the board and uh, two years later they were no longer business so I think it just goes to show you that uh, it's it's an you know it's an art form and a science but um, it, it's a mixture of both and execution, so
1: execution execution yeah.
3: <laughs> so even all the money and all the brains behind it doesn't guarantee that you're gonna have a successful brand and that really inspired us and it, and it really you know, a firm that what we were doing, we were doing the right thing. And even though we didn't have these, you know, massive advisors and, and you know, and the dollars behind it, um, we still outlasted a company that was many millions of dollars um, funded well over ours, so.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Theo, you guys have a lot of retail. Uh, tell me, tell yeah. me
2: how, how many stores do you have? Uh, currently we have 86 stores. That's not small. No, uh, they're <laughs> primarily in uh, California and Nevada. Right. Um, we do have some in some other states, but this is not, like our primary territory. When
0: you have a footprint that big, I imagine that you have not all your customers look like one person. So you, you, you probably have to appeal to a lot of different customers. What is, is there a difference between your California and your Nevada customer? Like, How do you appeal to all those different people?
2: California, Nevada. The customer is somewhat similar. It's more East Coast and West Coast. Um, we will see major trends um, happen there um, between brands, styles, um, and uh, that's those are easily identified. Um, the problem that we have, you know, especially with stores, is you know, we started off as a women's shoe store 30 years ago, and um, she can sell was upset that, you know, when women would come in with their boyfriends or husbands, they were always rushing them out of the store, you know? So he's like, I got to get men's shoes in here. Um, (laughs) And that's that's kind of was his whole philosophy. Well, that has been great, but brands don't like that, you know? um, One brand doesn't want to sit next to another brand, or they don't want, you know, this brand, you know, a customer to turn around and see another, this brand. So... That's always been um, a challenge, Uh, but we are one of the very small retailers where a family can go in and we've got something for everyone. I mean, we've fought really hard for that. Um, The benefit to that has been our customers have changed. So, for example, women don't really like to wear high heels anymore. Um, And why is that? Well, the workplace doesn't really require it. I, I see, you know, vendors come in all the time. And I promise you, I'm always looking at what shoes are they wearing. And now it's, you know, the heels are gone. It's more comfortable shoes, you know, sneakers, you know, things like that. So luckily we have that database of that customer, right. you know, and we see that change, you know. And so we can help the brand, you know, make that shift. We know what that consumer wants. Um, but that doesn't mean they always, you know, they're happy that we can do the transition, you know, but they're not interested in the old customer, you know, but that's still our customer.
1: At, 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 want, yeah, I can't attest, sorry. Yeah. I can't attest in true Italian gentleman form when we shook hands for the first time, he did look down at my <laughs> shoes. <Yeah>. So, <laughs> this man is is as genuine as they come. Yeah. I, what's interesting, Theo,
0: is the, the... As the customer changes and their tastes change, like, that has the... We were talking about risks a second ago. That has the the tendency to maybe pull you away from your core or like your original mission. Uh, so how do you how do you keep from how do you keep mission drift from happening? Like how do you still stay how do you still stay relevant for your core customer?
2: Well, it's interesting because our core customer has changed. Our core customer is the brand. Mm. That's pretty much who we work for. Um, you know. The brands in this day and age can now talk to the customer. 15, 20 years ago, they relied on us to talk to the customer and give information back. You know, um, we saw this especially with Karma Loop, as it was one of the first streetwear stores. They had almost a thousand streetwear vendors because they didn't know how to get their product out to the consumer. This was a great, you know, platform. Mm. Well, as Shopify and things popped up, you know, they learned like, oh, I can just do my own print to order. I don't need these other services. Um, and so we watched that evolve, right? And. Um, But at the same time, you know, we watched them learn because they also learned that it was very expensive to go out there and acquire that customer, you know, to bring them in. Um, So we've been trying to find, you know, that spot between what do all of these different brands want? Because we have, we've built a lot of different, you know, portfolios and we think we've kind of nailed down who our consumer is. And now it's just getting, you know, all the brands, you know, to play together, you know, like, yes, yeah, we'll sit next to such and such, you know. Jeff, it's
1: expensive to acquire a customer? For sure. I mean, I think there's never been a, a, a noisier time in the world and certainly online. So you think about a direct-to-consumer brand, um, there's just a lot of uh, media vying for your attention, not things to buy, but things to buy, things to read, things to watch. So to try to get to that person and say, hey, you know... I'm actually relevant to you, this is interesting, you should check us out. Um, You know, that's not a a, a cheap affair. Um, Mm. Obviously, the the longer you've been doing it, the better your product, the more people talking about it, all those things are tailwind, they they help. Um, But it's certainly not an easy thing. If it was, everyone would do it.
0: Yeah, one of our first merchant to merchant events
1: Uh, And that's it.
0: Unfortunately, that's where the recording cuts off. I will give you a few little notes uh, about what happened after the the cutoff of the recording. Uh, In particular, one of the things that that we heard from uh, Soleil there... Uh, was uh, the way that they've decided or enabled the transformation of their business to grow up out of direct-to-consumer uh, is how that they've started to find other consumers or other uh, markets for their products. And so Soleil Bicycles uh, powers college campuses now. Uh, college campuses have white-labeled the bicycles to be uh, bike share. Uh, it's, it's powering corporate campuses. Um, and Birdwell has decided that uh, they would rather uh, not... You know, expand their brand into uh, so many and into athleisure and into, into so many other categories. They want to stay true to who they are. And that's what really gets them excited is that they see this, this generational uh, uh, brand affinity now. Uh, We're generational retail that grandfather and a son uh, and, and a grandson uh, will all come in and shop together because uh, granddad used to shop at Birdwell. And, uh, and on the Karma Loop side, uh, they found that their investment in technology over a number of years uh, and in, in in being reactive to investment in technology, uh, in particular around uh, the type of, of infrastructure investment that they needed to make for the Yeezy shoe launches... They found that uh, once they made those sorts of investments, that it was almost too late, uh, because the hype and and uh, and the distribution model around uh, that particular type of uh, footwear release uh, was no longer in fashion, uh, so to speak. And so it it turns out they made a lot of investment uh, into technology, but they had already missed the window where that technology investment would have actually paid off for them. Uh, And I think we learn a lot from all of those stories. Uh, I think from Soleil, you learn uh, that you're your customer uh, uh, engages with your brand in very different ways, depending on who they are. Uh, But that doesn't mean that they're not your customer. It means that you have to tell the story differently so that they understand it. It's a broadening of your market, but not necessarily the product. Uh, On the Birdwell side, I think it's really powerful that they can make a commitment to the brand to say that we would rather have generational loyalty than sell out our product to be mass market. And I think from Karma Loop's perspective and Chic Shoes, they've decided that they're going to try to engage the consumer uh, well ahead of time to bring them into a purchase relationship and a purchase cycle that doesn't require them to only come on the big sale days, but to to have the types of products that they want all year round so that they are engaged in a more proactive basis. So that's kind of the gist. And the questions from the audience afterwards were just incredible. I encourage you, if you're ever around uh, for one of our quarterly Merchant to Merchant events, we'd love to have you. Uh, if you're a merchant, and you'd love to be on a panel. I want to hear from you. So you can contact us at info at somethingdigital.com. And please give us some feedback. Go over and leave some content for us on our episode page uh, for this episode of Merchant to Merchant. You could do that at podcast.somethingdigital.com. Thanks for listening.